Cinema Theater near you. It's the Equalizer. It's a bi-weekly podcast where two idiots drop a cinema sibling in the lap of a perfectly content solo film. My name is Mike Noll, and I am joined, as always, by the sequel to my prequel, Madison Jones. Madison Jones, are you in good form? I'm so excited. I'm just so excited. I've been waiting all week for this. It's, uh, yeah, I have too. I'm really proud of this. So... Normally we kind of we kind of faff around a little bit before we get to it, but uh, this week I have been challenged to create a sequel or prequel to the movie Rami and Michelle's High School Reunion, uh, starring Lisa Kudrow and Mira Servino. And the stipulation is I have to include the other friends' actors as characters. Yes, maybe there's a little bit of business to address, like as far as like I might have made a little bit of a boo boo. <laughs> okay, so yeah, here's the thing. Technically. This movie has a made-for-TV prequel, but I think we ignore made-for-TV sequels or prequels. If the movie was a theatrical release, we ignore made-for-TV sequels or prequels. Those don't exist, period. Like, we're looking at theatrical. If we're doing a TV movie like our as-to-be-released-eventually-Mazes-and-Monsters episode, that was a TV movie, then we, we have to work with that. But Rami and Michelle's High School Reunion was a theatrical release, so... We don't give a shit about their their prequel starring Katherine Heigl as Rami, which is crazy because I would totally see her more as the Michelle. Yeah, I, but just like Katherine Heigl. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's like an ABC Family thing too, but I don't know, Mike. What I think this is going to open the floodgates. I mean, if we do start breaking this rule, like what else could we break? We start. <laughs> Medicine is loosely <laughs> quoting me in our text conversation <laughs> when I realized that this movie had a TV prequel. <laughs> That's not what I was trying to do. No, but that's fine. I'm just saying anything's possible now. Like, let's just. That's let's... what I'm saying is we. This one is an interesting case, and so I think we just ignore. If a theatrical movie got a made-for-TV yeah. sequel or prequel, it doesn't exist in our in our yeah. purview. Because so we technically the Jimmy Neutron movie, they had the TV show, which we've already said TV shows don't count. But then they made TV movies based off that show, which could constitute sequels i think if it's a theatrical movie we just ignore the tv stuff period because otherwise in the podcast law we're getting into like sub clauses subsection a clause b etc etc and like when we're making amendments at this point yeah <laughs> we've wrote our bill of rights <laughs> say the and our constitution <laughs> and now we're making amendments <laughs> oh, boy. but yeah like so, let's just not watch it I, i'll i'll probably watch that just vaguely out of vague curiosity at some point there's no way it's as good. No, no way. So, Mike, before we start into it, let's do a little bit of our preamble stuff. Was this the first time you've ever seen this movie? It was, yes. Um, I mean, I think listeners will know that based on the end of last week's episode where I was entirely confused about what the fuck you were talking about. <laughs> I would say I love this movie. For real, listeners, do not sleep on this. Stop this podcast right now and go watch this movie. Mm-hmm. It is fucking amazing. Yeah. It's a very fun movie. Like, it's a movie that was made for entertainment. It wasn't, like, to win an Oscar. And so... It's just fun. Mm-hmm. Pretty harmless. Very light. In retrospect, yeah. right? I think it. it's pretty... There was, like, one, it's or, pretty all right. there was one or two moments where I kind of, like, not cringed, but, like, ooh, that's very 90s. When Michelle asks, like, oh, I was super into that guy in high school. I wonder why he wasn't into me. He was in, like, the theater department, and then it cuts to him from the picture. Oh, yeah. And he and another guy look at each other, and YMCA by the Village People plays. I was like, that's not awesome. I mean, it's, it's not awesome, but it's not as egregious as it could have been. Yeah, for sure. I forgot about that part. See Meet Dave, where the guy who turned out to be gay found that out by being super into musicals. Yeah, but, yeah. I love this movie. Um particularly Mira Sorvino's performance in this movie because the voice that she does is so amazing it's like (laughs) very particularly like she over enunciates everything and like there are points where they cut to Michelle and then they cut back to her and you've forgotten how weird the accent is yeah and then it's hilarious again and then you forget while she's talking and then it happens again. So, like, every 30 minutes, you're just like, oh, yeah, I forgot about this voice. Yeah. 
It's probably my favorite part of the movie, actually, is Mira Sovino's oh, yeah. she, accent. Rami is great. Yeah. The the bit where she's trying to find boyfriends for her and Michelle, and she's at a club. So what do you do? I'm a suit salesman. Would you excuse me? I cut my foot before and my shoe is filling up with blood. Then she just slumps away. Yeah. <laughs> so God. good. Okay. I really like, though, that you and I both really like this movie and there's really no division in our opinion did somebody say math can you do that in a uh rami voice did somebody say math the math is out there (laughs) (laughs) oh christ hear those math facts in celebration of this great movie, I decided <laughs> to find some Romian Michelle oh, math facts, but they're only really found two, mm-hmm. and they're, I'm going to say they're, quote, math facts, okay. math fact one-ish, mm-hmm. or math-ish fact one-ish. The post-it note was introduced in 1977, 10 years before Romian Shell graduated. Math blasted. Mm. That's not really a math fact. Mira Sorvino and Janine Gruffalo were both born on September 28th. Happenstantial math blasted. <laughs> what are the odds? <laughs> give, me, give me a second. Uh, that's about all I got. <laughs> boy, oh boy. Like I said, math-ish facts this week. But at least they're themed with the movie. I'm going to try to do that in the future. I think maybe it can try to find some fun. Sure. More more math-like facts than... Actually, kind of math facts and not facts that have to do with numbers. Yeah. More real math facts. Madison, you loved this movie. I loved it. And I really love this movie. But it may surprise you to learn that there are people who didn't like this movie as much as we did. They're wrong. Oh, yeah, for sure. 100%. 100% wrong. That's right, prequels. It's time once again for Daddy's Tomatoes. Alright, so our first review comes from Skylar B, who gave us half a star. What is this? And how did it ever find its way into my VCR back in the day? <laughs> Maybe... They tripped, knocked over a broom. The broom catapulted their goldfish mm-hmm. onto the VCR rack that was owned by their great uncle, who was a big, big Lisa Kudrow fan. Uh, but he's dead now. And Jesus Christ. the VCR falls off the shelf, tumbles, does three somersaults, and bounces into the VCR. Maybe they were sleepwalking. And they sleepwalked all the way to Blockbuster. And they were wearing a Lisa Kudrow t-shirt. They had trouble getting into the Blockbuster because it was closed because there are no Blockbusters anymore. Well, but this was in 97. Oh, that's true. Sorry. Well, this was in 2013. So there were still a few. They sleptwalked all the way to Blockbuster and just sleep mumbled Mira Sorvino, Janine Garofalo, Lisa Kudrow. He's like, we have a section just for that. It's the (laughs) Lisa, Mira, Janine section yep um and it's just lisa kudrow movies like this one mm-hmm. Two more. and all three seasons of the comeback okay no seasons of friends no no friends yeah that's which is weird it's really weird and then there's that one movie that i'm pretty sure it was uh one of the waynes brothers she was <laughs> in and she was in one of the waynes brothers <laughs> but it was lisa kudrow and she was like a publicist for like a rapper of some sort and hmm. but she was like this like well-to-do like publicist accountant businesswoman and then the famous dude teaches her to like let loose <laughs> freestyle rap oh maybe i don't know I, I never saw it i just remember seeing trailer for it our second review comes from robert m who gave us also a half a star i saw this in boot camp because i didn't have a choice now i do and i don't ever want to see it again in your review. Boot camp? 
they have this in boot camp? Apparently the United States Army shows Ryan and Michelle's high school reunion at boot camp. Wow. It's, I mean, probably to teach them how to fashion fashionable outfits out of, you know, with limited resources on the ground. Hmm. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's so they could adapt to any situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, especially how to get out of awkward conversations. Yeah. I mean, the Marine Corps is trained to tell people that they cut their heel before they came over here. And so now they have to go. Uh, the movie I was thinking of was Marcy X. <laughs> and Way it, to be in the moment. Yeah. Madison. <laughs> I um, don't think this is a good movie. <laughs> Maybe not a <laughs> You know who might disagree with you is G.J.H.M., who gave this movie one star. Weird movie. Not bad. Just weird. And creepy. Creepy? Yeah. Creepy. You know what was creepy? When that scene where Michelle ate a bowl full of worms with her bare hands. She did? Yes, and... Yes, and I don't remember that scene, Mike. (laughs) So it doesn't sound like you love this movie as much as you claim to, Madison. (laughs) Yeah, I've actually never seen it. (laughs) Oh my god. Uh, um, You just googled a movie that had Mira Servino, Lisa Kudrow, and Jenny Garofalo, didn't you? Yes. The scene that I thought was actually creepy was in the dream sequence scene. <laughs> where sequence. Right after she gets, like, hit by the van. <laughs> we gotta talk about the getting hit by the car, but continue. She gets hit by a limo at one point, and it turns out to be... Um, Alan Cumming. Alan Cumming. Uh, but he had, like, face surgery or something. I was glad it was a dream only for that part. Because yeah. that was fucked up. It was just weird. And the guy looked weird. I mean, I think he was supposed to. Like, that was the point, was it was bad plastic surgery. Yeah. The part where she gets hit by the car is legitimately, might actually be my favorite part, with the (laughs) cut my heel as a close second, because the way Lisa Kudrow flies into the air is so obviously she's on a wire. Because it's not like in TV shows where they get hit and they, like, flip over the car or Mm -hmm. onto the hood. She basically, it looks like she leaps into the air on all fours. (laughs) And lands on top of the car on all fours. It is the fakest looking I've ever seen. It is so funny. So fucking funny. It's really funny about the whole dream sequence scene because there's a part, like, when I rewatched it this for this time, like, I know it was dream sequence because I've seen the movie before. But I'd like to know from you, for this being the first time you've ever seen it, when did it, like, when did you realize it was a dream? I mean, I didn't until she woke up. But, like... I started to be like, what the fuck is... This is weirder than the movie has been when they're... After their joint announced as, like, most successful or whatever, and they're being led off by the two respective... I'll say love interests in quotes, romantic gentleman characters. Mm. Just starts, And those two guys' cars are parked in the ballroom. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck is this now? What are you doing? <laughs> this is too- that whole part of that scene is very, like weird because lisa kudrow like uh it's uh, not wearing a shirt she's not wearing a shirt and she just walks in and then it's like most successful person ever <laughs> like award which is not a thing at fine at high school reunions at least i'm assuming i did text you while i was watching this some thoughts i just at one point all i sent you was in all caps 70 years later because after they leave the reunion, it time jumps 70 years. Mm-hmm. And there's a part of me that wishes that they had just gone with that, like that it wasn't a dream, just because that would have been a wildly interesting way to end the movie. Yeah. But like, I'm not mad. Like, it's fine. I liked the ending. Except for that weird three-person dance with Alan Cumming, which was just... It's so good. My favorite part is when, um, I think it's towards the end, where he has his hands out and they both rest their heads in them. <laughs> It's so good. Like, I can't even describe this dance, like, of what it is. It's just, like, something that... Did they practice this in high school or something? Or is it just improv? Or... Probably improv. All right, I have one last review. This review comes from John M., who gave it two stars. I will tell the Alan Cummings story, if you ask. End of review. The Alan Cummings story? This doesn't have to be a recurring segment, but I think... What's your Alan Cummings story that... I mean, you've told me this story a hundred times. Like, I mean... It's, it's one of your famous stories. So there I was on the episode of Spy Kids 2. On the set of Spy Kids 2? Yeah. You said episode. You said on the episode of Spy Kids 2. Are you sure I did? I'm pretty sure. I don't remember saying that. <laughs> <laughs> there I was 
on the set of Spy Kids 2, Island of Lost Dreams, crying because I knew one day I would be doing this podcast and like, I'm like, God, it has a sequel. God, stop it. Stop it. Um, Spy Kids franchise. Stop it, Spy Kids 1, 2. That's that's how they're numbered. Spy Kids yeah. 1, Spy Kids 1, <laughs> one 2. 2. <laughs> it's that, that bold 90s uh, movie numbering strategy that never took off, like putting clips on the side of DVD boxes. Yeah, and they were going to throw me off the set, and then Alan Cumming came out, who plays um, Floop, and he's like, stop, they have a point. We shouldn't be doing this movie because it's really bad. And then they threw both of us out. And then we went to get gelato. That was my story. Alan Cumming's story. We then played some Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> yeah, Alan Cumming famously. <laughs> Loves Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah, he's actually um, more a fan of Dice Dungeon or like the dice game of Yu-Gi-Oh. But, I didn't know um, that existed. Yeah. Do you still get to use like the, the dual blades or whatever from the arm? Like the. I don't know if that's in Dice Dungeon. Anyway. Well, that's the end of the tomatoes. Unless you have anything else you want to talk about, I can get into my pitch for this odd, odd movie. Let me prepare myself. All right. So, to remind the listeners, I said earlier, but I'll remind them again. My challenge was to create a sequel or prequel to Romney and Michelle's High School Reunion that included the other Friends cast members as characters. And it couldn't Correct. be like, oh, look, it's David Schwimmer from Friends. It had to be an in-fiction character. Correct. So I want to preface with two things very quickly. One, just go with me until the end. I have them all. <laughs> it may not seem like it at some like at one point, but I definitely did put them all in. So just kind okay. of go with me. And then two, this is the most grounded pitch I've ever done. <laughs> I watched the movie and I promised, uh, you know, because we, we've taken some... Fairly, I mean, I basically made Gordo a wizard accidentally. Mm-hmm. So this one, I was like, no, I need to not go too weird. It still got pretty weird, but in its own way. Just, I, I want to preface this with like, this is the most grounded movie I've ever made. So okay. with that, we begin. Rami and Michelle turn 50. Oh, shit. Which I was going to have a, my original idea when I was watching the movie, I was like jotting some ideas down. And there is the point at the very beginning. Swear to God, sometimes. I wish I were a lesbian. Do you want to try and have sex sometimes just to see if we are? <laughs> what? Yeah, right, Michelle. Thought having sex with another woman creeps me out. But if we're not married by the time we're 30, ask me again. Okay. And I was like, okay, there we go. There's like a plot. Like maybe they turn out those super into each other. Like it could be a romantic thing. And then I thought about it. They're 28 when that movie was made. Yeah. Like in fiction, it's like two years away, so that didn't work. So then I did the math, and I was like, well, they'd be about 50 now. Mm-hmm. So the movie opens on the same scene of Pretty Woman that the original movie did. This time, it's being watched on an enormous flat screen. We pan around the room. It's large and luxurious. Rami and Michelle are sitting in fancy and expensive chairs. Michelle says, I know we've watched this movie like 436 times, but it's so great we can still make fun of it. They heckle with the same low-quality barbs they dished out in the first movie. Michelle still gets emotional when they let Julia Roberts shop. They're interrupted by their party planner, David Schwimmer. Let me rephrase that. I Hold on. <laughs> I read my notes incorrectly. It's David Schwimmer in parentheses. Like, got it, got it, got it. That's got the it. actor who's playing it, but I read it. I mean... So, so technically it reads... What's he doing now? He could be a party planner. They're interrupted by their party planner, David Schwimmer. They have to make a few final decisions before their big 50th birthday bash tonight. It's details and selecting from a few options. It's nothing like major. It's just like final details. We cut to the party. It's a big affair. Dancing, music, etc. Rami and Michelle are dancing and having a great time while also wearing matching tiaras. A party goer dancing by them comments how wild it is that they have the same birthday. Rami tells them that they don't. They celebrate their birthdays on the anniversary of the day they met. <laughs> when pressed, they don't actually remember when their respective birthdays are. That's great. This doesn't seem to bother them, though it makes the partygoer weirded out, so she dances away. Sandy gets on stage to give a short speech. It's touching. He proposes a toast to the birthday girls. Everyone raises a glass. Michelle turns to clink glasses with Romy, or Romy, and we see Romy pass out in slow motion, crumpling to the ground. Oh, no. In the hospital, Michelle is sitting by Romy's bed, holding her hand while she sleeps. We see Sandy talking with the doctor, who is played by the guy who was Gunther. <laughs> you didn't have to have a Gunther. No, no, no. I, I have a few of the periphery characters uh, okay. also. Okay. 
Sandy talking to the doctor, he's played by Gunther, through the little window on the door. We hear Rami weakly ask what lotion Michelle uses because her hands are unbelievably soft. Michelle says she uses vinegar and creamy peanut butter. Oh, God. (laughs) Sandy comes in. It's serious, and we cut to outside the room as he tells them what's up. We never find out what exactly is wrong. As far as we're concerned, she's just capital S sick. I didn't really want to pick a disease. Sure. It just felt gross and like... Mm-hmm. Also, if somebody listening does have that thing, I, I don't know. It just felt weird and wrong for me to be like, it's this specifically. For sure. So she's just capital S sick. Rami hasn't been to the doctor since she and Michelle stayed up all night watching a diagnosis murder marathon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Michelle wants to know when they can take Rami home. Sandy doesn't answer right away. They can't. It's too severe. Rami needs basically near constant medical attention. So how long until she's better? Most likely, she's not going to be. We get a montage of Rami in the hospital, and Michelle is right there with her, combing her hair, reading her chart while Rami sleeps, helping her eat, asleep in the chair next to the bed, pouring vinegar and peanut butter into a bowl Rami's hands are resting in, etc. We end the montage on them watching TV. Apropos of nothing, Rami asks, You know what the suckiest part of this is? Michelle, still watching the TV, definitely Ross. (laughs) That was good. Um, uh, No, not the show. This. She gestures to show she means the situation. Uh, The suckiest part is that she always thought she'd outlive Nicolas Cage and get to go to his funeral. She doesn't know him personally. She's just a big fan. And so here's where I need to step back from the pitch to explain what's going to be happening and what has happened. Okay. When I decided that the idea was that one of them would be sick, a bucket list came up as an idea. Yeah, And of course, being Rami and Michelle, I googled like weird <laughs> attractions from different states. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Nicolas Cage has already bought his own tomb in a graveyard in New Orleans. Holy and I'm going to read you a very short thing I've put together from like a few different news reports where I found this. Okay. This is kind of midstream of thought, but what's even weirder than the fact that Nicolas Cage is still making movies is the fact that he has his burial plot already picked out. And it's a 10-foot-tall, national treasure-esque pyramid inscribed with the phrase Omnis Ab Uno, or everything from one. Whoa. <laughs> People are going to go to that after he dies and like just like leave like gifts and stuff. Well, the actor himself has chosen to remain silent about his reasoning for the flamboyant tomb. Some speculate it's an homage to the National Treasure movie franchise. What a wild thing if it was a it, like a dedication to the National <laughs> Treasure movies. <laughs> Though given that many cemeteries host pyramid grave markers, it may have simply been a stylistic choice. Others think that the pyramid is evidence of the strange actor's ties to the probably fictitious secret Illuminati society. Because of antique portraits bearing an uncanny resemblance to Cage that have surfaced online, the more paranormally minded suggest that the pyramid is where Cage will regenerate his immortal self. (laughs) So, imagine you're me, and you're trying to figure out what thing that they would go and see. Mm-hmm. And then you find out about this. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, it's the destination. There is something in Arizona called The Thing, which is a, an, a, like a roadside attraction that like nobody talks about. And it's just like you have to go and see it. No one will tell you what it is. You have to go and see it. And I thought about using that because it's in Arizona. And I was like, perfect. They go, you know, they're from mm-hmm. Arizona. They're from Tucson. It's like an hour away from Tucson. There's no way they didn't already go. Yeah. So I found this. Um, The last thing I will note is a tradition has arisen of leaving lipstick kisses behind on the nameless tomb. Wow. So Rami always thought that she would get to go to Nicolas Cage's funeral at this tomb, but she's obviously not going to be able to. That was the last thing on her bucket list. Michelle looks at the list. There's three items. Be best friends with Michelle forever, which has a check next to it. Sleep with Billy Christensen. This one she has crossed out entirely, like (laughs) struck from the list. Fuck that guy. And attend Nicolas Cage's funeral. Michelle muses that she could probably kill Nicolas Cage. (laughs) Rami laughs and Michelle has that look on her face that says, maybe she wasn't entirely kidding. Oh, man. Rami says that she'd settle for just seeing it at this point. Michelle gets up and leaves the room. Cut to her sprinting down the hall with Rami in a wheelchair being chased by Dr. Gunther and a few nurses. 
Dr. Gunther yells at Michelle, this is kidnapping. Michelle keeps yelling back, it's not kidnapping, she wants to go. <laughs> Both Robbie and Michelle are laughing. At one point, Michelle grabs a set of scrubs off a shelf as she passes. I'm sorry, I've always wanted a pair of these. <laughs> Outside, Michelle is on her phone, frantically looking over her shoulder. Finally, a car pulls up. The passenger window rolls down, and Steve, played by Matthew Perry, leans over. Lift for Michelle? She climbs into the passenger seat as Rami gets into the back, and Michelle screams at Steve to drive. He takes off as Dr. Gunther exits the hospital. A police car pulls up, and he directs it to follow the taxi. Is his name Dr. Gunther? Uh, sure. I mean, sure. It, it can't be. I, I just use that to continue to signify that it was that doctor. <laughs> A police car pulls up, and he directs it to follow the lift. In the lift, Steve is trying to be friendly. He confides that this is actually his first pickup. Michelle keeps checking the rear-rear mirror. I think it's a bit where she's tilting it so she can see out the back window, and he keeps like tilting it back so he can see out the back window because he's driving. He asks Rami a question and half turns to talk to her, just not realizing she's in a hospital gown. He asks if Michelle kidnapped her. Michelle denies it. The police sirens can now be heard. She says, it's not kidnapping if she wants to go. Steve looks in the mirror and sees the police are on his tail. He says he's going to pull over. Michelle pulls a pin out of her purse and presses it to his neck. She tells oh him God. he's not pulling over. He agrees and asks where they're going. She says, New Orleans. He sighs heavily and says, no one ever told me Lyft was going to be this way. <laughs> Can I do like a, a very a, a deep cut joke in yeah, this scene? Of course. Just on the car radio, Journey is playing because his name's Steve. Okay. And uh, Matthew Perry's last name is Perry. So Steve Perry from Journey. Sure. So that, uh, I, that, I, I got through that thread very fast, but I don't know how. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough the camera zooms through the car through the back window and we see the police officer oh man <laughs> the police officer mark leblanc <laughs> mark leblanc <laughs> yeah <laughs> played by matt leblanc okay uh he's on the radio with dispatch they're telling him the details basically like she took her out of the hospital blah 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 like yeah ahead we see steve's car pulling over mark pulls in behind them and approaches the car through the driver's side window, we see them sitting there. Steve has both hands on the wheel. Mark looks in the back, and there's no one in the back seat. He talks with Steve and Michelle, who lie. Steve, not terribly convincingly, and say they're married and on vacation from Canada. Michelle is into this lie and saying A far too many times and not always <laughs> in the right way. Okay. But Steve is sweating buckets. Mark is suspicious, but ultimately lets them go. The doctor must have pointed a different car. He returns to his car, and as he watches the lift drive off, he sees Rami climb back into the back seat. Uh, he turns to get into his car and sees both of his driver's side tires are slashed. <laughs> we flash back quickly to him approaching the car and Rami sliding out of the passenger side back seat and <laughs> inching her way to his patrol car and unscrewing the air hose caps on the tires, like letting the air out of his tires and then creeping back in. Like the classic, as he's walking, she's like just out of sight still. Yeah. He commandeers a car and sets off in pursuit but they're gone. He returns to his car and finds a scrap of paper on the ground. Picking it up, he looks at it and sees it's Rami's list. She dropped it when letting the air out. Mark gets into his now-worthless cruiser and starts searching Nicolas Cage's tomb on Bing. Uh, come on, no, no. fuck oh, you. Fuck, no. no, you know, hold on. I, I swear to you, on my life, I did not make that connection. I just didn't want to pick Google. <laughs> I, I, I'm not joking. I legitimately, like... Mike. I, Madison, I Mike. swear to you. Look at me. You know me. Look at me. I, If I had meant that joke, I w would have the biggest shit-eating grin on my face right now. This is absolute happenstance. I legitimately just picked not Google. <laughs> I didn't even think of Chandler Bing. Holy shit. <laughs> my joke brain is just ascended i guess that oh, i man. didn't i i promise you i cannot promise you vehemently enough that that was unintentional that's great holy shit i think we should send an episode right yeah that's it <laughs> we did it we did it we got the chandler bing joke i mean mike could that joke not be any more obvious I, it could i mean legitimately it could not like i don't know how i missed it <laughs> also i will turn this bandit off i could not work in a could i be anymore whatever like, i just didn't okay. get to that one i didn't go ham on the jokes as much like there in the beginning i got a couple in but i didn't want to like oversaturate which apparently sure. i got a third one in without realizing a secret bang <sighs> secret back in steve's car he's a nervous wreck michelle tells him that he's fine he can drop them off at a bus station and they'll figure it out he likes this plan 
Jeff and them pulling into a bus station parking lot. As Steve circles to pull up near the drop-off, they see Mark around the terminal, putting up wanted posters of Romney, Michelle, and Steve. <laughs> Without stopping, he just pulls out of the parking lot and takes off. New Orleans sounds nice. Yeah. We kind of time-lapse a little bit as they pull into the Alamo Motel, a Alamo-themed motel. Uh, it's night now. Steve and Michelle head out for food. Uh, I... I in writing this and rewriting a few parts here and there, I kind of like cut a bit where it's basically a 28 hour drive from LA to um, okay. New Orleans. So I imagine it'd be like two days, two, three days. Yeah. Um, so they stopped for the night in Texas. I had an idea and then I thought of a better thing later on. So I had to go back and tweak bits here and there and some details got lost in the shuffle. You understand. I'm preaching to the choir about <laughs> creating pitches whole cloth and. No excuses. Uh, they stay at the Alamo Hotel and Alamo themed motel that night. Steve and Michelle head out for food. There's a scene where Steve is trying to pick out something and Michelle is putting it back because she knows Rami's super particular eating habits slash likes and dislikes. What are some of those? Entirely green bananas. She loves those or mm-hmm. dislikes them? She loves okay. those. Doesn't okay. want... If it's not green, she's not going to eat it. A very hard, firm banana. Yeah, I was going to do a fun rhyme there about green, but it didn't come to me. Rachel Green? God. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I just can't not make friends jokes, I guess. <laughs> do you want more food preferences? Because I can... Uh, one more. She's allergic to Greek yogurt. Just Greek yogurt? Mm-hmm. Not, All of the yogurt's Not fine. sour cream. Not, you know, Dan and yogurt. It's Interesting. Greek yogurt. Okay. This is a scene where Steve gets an idea of, like, what's actually at stake for them personally. Like, Mm -hmm. how deep this friendship is. Like, how much they know about each other. Yeah. They're basically almost closer than sisters. Yeah. And, like, he's finally, like, he's starting to realize this isn't. It's weird, but this is hugely personal. And it is something that Michelle is, like, having to try to deal with. That this person who knows her better than anyone else in the world is actively, like, dying. Mm Mm-hmm. The two halves of a whole. Exactly. Like, this isn't, this is the only scene. And then he's like, I'm on board for whatever. I'm ride or die, Rami and Michelle. <laughs> I'm ride or die, Nick Cage's too. It's like, she's there for her. Romy back is there for her too. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately. We're so stupid. We're so dumb. <laughs> Unfortunately, they pay with a credit card. We cut to Mark sitting in a cafe drinking a coffee as he gets a notification on his phone that Michelle's credit card has been used in Texas. Uh, It's weird, though. He doesn't seem terribly alarmed by this. Just kind of like nods and kind of puts his phone away and keeps drinking his coffee. The next day, our heroes enter New Orleans. Rami is looking not great health-wise and also fashion-wise as she's in clothes bought entirely from the Alamo Hotel gift shop. What clothes is it? Is it like a... It's definitely like a t-shirt that says like i stayed at the allen motel and all i got was this t-shirt whatever but a pair of like sweatpants with all the flags that fly at the alamo because i think okay. there's like seven of them and it's all of the nations that fought at the alamo or something yeah obviously i did not fact check this before you asked me <laughs> the fire nation the earth nation mm-hmm. and that's uh fire that's two of seven so go ahead and just finish that out for me but no more avatars the the nation under god <laughs> The uh, national treasure. What's that flag look like? Um, it's just Riley Poole's face, who is the other guy from National Treasure. Oh, I know. And then there's Book of Secrets, and then that one is just John Voight's face. So there's there's a two more flags. That's five. There is a Hebrew National hot dogs. I almost spit out my drink. <laughs> then there is Nation of Crete. Okay, famously fought the Alamo. The island of Crete. I don't, know why that's, the Alamo. I don't know why that's the one that I, like, somehow took up with. Like, oh, of course. They, <laughs> the old one's actually a fucking real nation in the world. Yeah. So she's not looking great health-wise and fashion-wise. Um, the medication has long ago worn off. She's puking into Michelle's purse. Oh, God. Steve says that there's no way that they can move her like this. Like, they're not going to be able to go visit this tomb if she's this sick. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to find some kind of medicine. Michelle said they should stop at a CVS or something and she'll buy some. Unless Rami's puke ruined her credit card. Rami, in a brief moment of not puking, asks if Michelle's been using her credit card this whole time. Yeah. You know they can track you that way, right? She says, so no credit card. Michelle just Mm -hmm. didn't know that they could be tracked. 
Steve is exasperated. Great. So now they're going to have to go knock over a pharmacy. Michelle is biting her eloquent thought. She brightens up. Michelle enters the pharmacy wearing the hospital scrub she stole earlier, pushing Rami in a wheelchair. She moves quickly to the prescription desk and bluffs her way into some medicine. It should be noted that the person behind the desk is the British lady that told Ross not to talk to Rachel anymore, and I could not be bothered to even do a cursory search for her name because... Emily? Was it Emily? It was Emily. I legitimately did not Google search it. About halfway through typing out down that rant, I was like, I think it's Emily. So I yeah. just went for it. At least you didn't say Rachel. Hey. 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 <laughs> Zinga. <laughs> Emily is overwhelmed by Michelle's intensity... Uh, and Robbie's near constant retching. She agrees to give them the medicine that she needs as a prescription. I think, like, Michelle is bluffing that she's a nurse and this is her patient and they need medicine ASAP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She agrees to give them the medicine but needs a prescription. Michelle rattles off the exact prescription. Everyone present is shocked at the slew of very technical information. Emily goes to fill it. Michelle looks at Rami, who's still stunned at what she just did. Michelle shrugs. I read your chart a lot. Like, I, I just had the idea that, like, Michelle was just, like, idly reading Rami's chart so much that she knew exactly what the prescription that she needed was. Well, in the dream sequence, too, Michelle, like, <laughs> like in the first movie, she she basically found, like, the formula for glue, like, a certain type of solvent of some sort. Yeah. Off the top of her head. And apparently Lisa Kudrow just made that right up on the spot. Like it uh, was like a one take, like she just said it. So they walk towards the door with prescription in hand. As they pass down an aisle, Rami grabs a handful of lipsticks. People obviously see this and Michelle calls out, those are prescription. <laughs> They're leaving the pharmacy. Michelle opens the back door of Steve's car to find Marcus sitting in it. He asks her, how you doing? <laughs> but he doesn't do the Joey. How you doing? He's he like, says, how you doing? How you doing? Michelle slams the door and starts running with Rami in the wheelchair. Mark gets out and starts chasing them on foot. After a few moments, Steve starts the engine and follows in his car. Uh, this is kind of just like a fun on-foot chasing mm-hmm. of Matt LeBlanc chasing Lisa Kudrow, pushing Mira Sorvino in a wheelchair. A fun chasing here. I think at one point they approach an intersection and Rami just reaches out a hand and grabs a lamppost, thus like taking the yeah, turn. I got you. I think Mark does it too. Because like he's on foot and he just like reaches out and grabs him and does the turn as well. Yeah. The chase leads them to the cemetery. Michelle finds herself at a crossroads in this cemetery, not really sure where to go. There's a psst from off screen. She turns and we see a wild-eyed woman, played by Courtney Cox, leaning okay. out of a mausoleum. She's gesturing for them to join her. Rami and Michelle look at each other and shrug, and they get in. The woman closes the door behind them. Like, and this is like she like lives in this empty mausoleum. Okay. She introduces herself as Madge. Rami and Michelle introduce themselves and thank her for helping them avoid capture. Madge says she understands. They're after her, too. The police? More dangerous game. They're obviously unnerved by this woman. Michelle asks if Madge can tell them where to find Nicolas Cage's tomb. The woman gets very serious. Why do they want to go to the tomb? Rami explains. The woman says, so you don't know? They say, know what? About the Illuminati. (laughs) Silence. The what? The Illuminati. The tomb is the Illuminati? No. But it has some dark purpose, and if Nicolas Cage is ever buried in there, dark plans will come to fruition. Okay. <laughs> you don't believe me? Check this. And I want to say this is, I spent the most time on this pitch working out what's about to happen. Okay. So please bear with me. The tomb's a pyramid, right? Yeah. So there's four sides. There are eight letters in Nicholas. There are four letters in Cage. Eight plus four equals 12. Divided by the four sides of the pyramid, that's three. There are three sides to a triangle. Triangles are the symbol of the Illuminati. Another symbol of the Illuminati is the I. I is the ninth letter of the alphabet. Nine minus three equals six. Nicolas Cage has 97 film credits. Nine times seven is 63. One of the movies is called Face Off. This is telling us to switch the numbers. 63 becomes 36. Divide that by the three sides of the triangle, you get 12. Reverse that and you get 21. 21 is a blackjack. Jack Black made three Kung Fu Panda movies. The third movie came out in 2016. Two minus one is one. Multiply that by six. Six. Now we come to the damning evidence. Nicolas Cage made two National Treasure movies that dealt with the Freemasons. Other than the fact that the Masons are in league with the Illuminati, the second movie involved finding Cibola, the city of gold. Gold's atomic number is 79. Nicolas Cage was also in a movie about the USS Indianapolis. Indianapolis is the capital of Indiana. Indiana was the 19th state to join the Union. 79? Minus 19 is 60. 
Six plus zero is six. Six, six, six. Mike, you should post that on Reddit. <laughs> and um, I think if you do, you'll basically prevent Nicholas Cage from ever running for office because there's going to be this really deep, deep, like Pizzagate-esque conspiracy. I spent an afternoon working that out. There's a thing where one time I, I started doing, for various reasons, uh, in November when people post like thankful posts, I started doing fake history. Like today I'm thankful for and some alternate history bullshit I made up. And yeah. one time I did an entire fake conspiracy about William Henry Harrison, the president who died in 30 days, mm-hmm. and basically made up the joke that if you add all these numbers together in a specific way, it's the coordinates for where Atlantis is. And on a whim, I Google those coordinates, and it's roughly where some people think Atlantis might have been. <laughs> Mike, maybe you have the intersect. Got in one. <laughs> yeah, just like nine episodes too late. Yeah. So, Romy and Michelle are obviously in stunned silence after she goes through this. Immediately cut to them running out of the mausoleum. And I think that in my mind... The mausoleum is on the left side of the screen, and they're running across to the right. And after they clear the right side of the screen, there's about two seconds, and then we see Mark running from the left. They're like, he's, he's caught them again, and he's chasing them. Rami and Michelle approach the tomb. It's a 10-foot-tall National Treasure House pyramid inscribed with the phrase, Omnia ab uno, or everything from one. Rami is applying lipstick as they near it. Mark slows to a stop, having finally caught them. Michelle snaps at him. Great, you caught us. Can we have like two seconds so my dying friend can kiss the grave? Who's dying? We hear from off screen in a very familiar voice. The camera turns and we see Nicolas Cage standing a little bit away. Okay, can you say that who's dying again, but in a Nicolas Cage impression? Who's dying? I can't do Nicolas Cage impressions. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) Uh, Who's dying? That's actually not... That's not terrible. (laughs) <laughs> why is Rami burned why is she kissing the grave why is she kissing the grave <laughs> everyone is frozen in shock after just like too long of silence Michelle elbows Rami to say something she blurts out we invented post-its I mean <laughs> <laughs> it's great yeah thank you Mark loses his composure a little he's a big fan Nick is flattered and asks what's happening they download about what's been going on Nick says that it's not a crime for Rami to leave the hospital. Mark says it is a crime to kidnap a Lyft driver. Steve joins them now and says, it's not kidnapping if you want to go. (laughs) Yeah. It's a touching moment. Mark doesn't want to give up on this. And so Nick pulls him aside and smooths it over with the promise of them having a drink later and an autograph. They shake hands. Mark shoots Rami and co a dirty look, kind of throws Rami's list at them and leaves. I can post the shot of this because I have a very clear image in my head of what it is. Like the right side of the screen is the side of the tomb. Mm-hmm. And then we see Rami lean in and plant a kiss on the tomb. Because like I said earlier, that's a thing of like lipstick kisses on the tomb. Yeah. Then Michelle leans in and plants a kiss right beside her. Then Steve leans in and plants a kiss right beside her. Nick picks up the list and hands it to Rami. She crosses it off with the lipstick. Then she asks Nicholas Cage to sign it. He laughs and does. We get a close-up of the kiss and the signature. We pan out of that later. Michelle is holding the list in front of a different grave in a different graveyard. Sandy is next to her. The gravestone is for Rami. Michelle Mm -hmm. says, I hope you like it here. I picked it special just for you. Sandy squeezes her shoulder. It's great, honey. Yeah, it is, Rami says off screen. She steps up next to Michelle. She's on the mend and not dead. Steve is with her, helping her stand upright. Steve says, this isn't morbid. Actually, this could have been a place like, could this be any more morbid? But I didn't think about it. This was the end of like 45 minutes of frantically typing my outline into a note this afternoon. So I wasn't going for all the jokes. Maybe that's what it says on the gravestone. (laughs) Could this be any more morbid? I I had some joke about like, originally I was going to put like, did not invent post-it notes. But then I worked that joke in later or something. I don't know. I just. Or maybe invented post-it notes. (laughs) Maybe. Steve says, could this be any more morbid? But also not in the same intonation of Chandler Bing. Yeah. Rami says, I think it's like really cool just to have this done. She pulls a tube of lipstick from her pocket and offers it to Michelle. Michelle puts some on, as does Rami, and they kiss the gravestone. Camera pans up. As it goes, we catch a glimpse of Madge in the distance, counting her fingers and muttering to herself. It ends on the sky as we fade to black. After credit scene, mm. Nicholas Cage and Mark are leaving a bar. They say goodbye and Mark walks off. 
Nick wanders into the graveyard and stands in front of his tomb. He smiles at the three new kisses. He takes one of his hands out of his pocket and makes the Illuminati eye symbol over one of his eyes, and the tomb slides back with a hiss and some smoke. It reveals a hole with a ladder. He descends the ladder into a small antechamber with a large ornate sarcophagus and a simple flat screen TV. The screen kicks on, and we see the head of the Illuminati, played by Jennifer Anderson. <laughs> Report cut to black. There we go. Got Paul Rudd. I mean, he was clearly in we're... the latter, in the latter be... seasons of Friends. So, I mean, my my purview was just the Friends. That's true. I spoiled you with Gunther and Emily and all the extras. Yeah, and now you're true. you're being a little brat. I'm I'm, I'm being greedy. Yeah, you're getting greedy. <laughs> I talked with Paul Rudd at one point. I wanted to work in a joke about how. There were two characters in this movie that you never saw, and it was going to be Ross's kids because they're like basically never in the fucking show. Yeah, I like it. I like it because Romy and Michelle's friendship is just so. Yeah, that is the star of the movie. Yeah, like uh, of the first one. I had a, a, a bit where originally an idea I had written at the top of my pitch in all caps in bold. The idea is Michelle learning to make decisions for herself because Rami was kind of the more dominant personality in the first one. Absolutely. And so this was like, I may not be around forever now. You need to start mm-hmm. learning this at 50 or whatever. But that came into some very detailed work of scenes. And I felt like going for broader, like here's the jokes and here's the the goofs was more mm-hmm. important for this movie because the first one doesn't really have an arc. Like it's, Rami and Michelle are who they are. Rami starts to think, you know, maybe we're not good enough. And then Michelle's like, no, like, we're awesome. Like, we just have a good time. Like, that's all that really matters. Who cares what they think? And so it's more of like the arc is, oh, yeah, that was a dumb decision we made. Call out to my friend Ian Greer's podcast called Not Another Film Podcast. They covered Rami and Michelle recently, and they discussed on there about how the whole plot of Rami and Michelle 1 is all about what they think about other people and not themselves Mm -hmm. like that makes sense like they never thought anything about their friendship or anything about their lives until the high school reunion came up right they were perfectly happy they were perfectly like content but once they started comparing themselves to people who don't even know them really we'll link to that episode in our show notes and then michelle at the end of the movie is like you know what like i had a blast in high school you know like it was fun yeah can i tell you the truth I never knew that we weren't that great in high school. I mean, we always had so much fun together. I thought high school was a blast. And until you told me that our lives weren't good enough, I thought everything since high school was a blast. So I like that the best part of your pitch is that they are kicking it to the end, right? Like oh, they're yeah. like they're right or die. I mean, they're quite literally in this case. I yeah. guess that wasn't a premise that I went with, like the joke of ride or die. Like they're mm-hmm. this is your bucket list. We're gonna do it. Yeah. Period. This is your weird bucket list item. Yeah. And I, mm-hmm. I like I legitimately flipped a coin for who was sick. Once I found out it was Rami, that made more sense somehow yeah. to me. But like, of course, that's a thing that they would want to go see is Nicolas Cage's tomb. Yeah. I think it makes more sense to have Michelle in the more dominant role in this. Because since it, the whole first movie was sort of Rami's show of like, mm-hmm. it was like her plan. Right. Yeah. But yeah. It was good, man. I loved it. I I had a lot of fun doing it, and it helped. Like I said, I made myself not go weird. I mean, mm-hmm. the Nicolas Cage thing is weird, but it's not like our brand of weird where I take it to like a supernatural level or something. Yeah. Like the Illuminati thing has no bearing on the actual plot of Rami and Michelle. It's just like an afterthought at the end. Something about Rami and Michelle is like fiercely loyal to the like, no, I'm not going to go too weird with this. Like the yeah. jokes can be weird. Yeah, it's specific, but I'm not going to make it like magic or you're not going to put it, make it part of our weird trash amalgamation of like a back catalog of some of ours. It's not going to be a Beetlejuice. It's not going to be a, a Meet Dave. I'm not going to fucking put this over an episode of Jersey Shore. Yeah, for sure. I completely get that because, like I said, I love this movie. I love the characters. I love their friendship, and it's just a awesome movie. Uh, so did I do it? You did it. Good job. That's about the most sure answer I've gotten to that question in probably like (laughs) 15 episodes. Honestly, that's probably the surest answer to that question since the last challenge. My 
my New Year's resolution for this podcast is to be more earnest. <laughs> yeah. Scared stupid, goes to camp, <laughs> plays basketball. Plays basketball. There's one he, where he plays basketball. Look, I stand by Ernest Scared Stupid. That's a fucking good... It's got Eartha Kitt. I actually haven't seen... The only Ernest movie I've seen is Ernest Saves Christmas. Not fun fact, my English teacher in high school... Was Jim Varney? No, Ernest was his uncle. Jim Varney was his uncle? Yeah, Jim Varney was his uncle. There was a PA teacher in my high school who was related to Ray Kroc, the... Okay. Considered the founder of McDonald's. <laughs> I thought I thought you were going to say there was a, a PE teacher in your high school that vaguely looked like Jim Varney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, he looked like Jim Varney, but was related to Ray Kroc. Yeah. Huh. All right. If I did it, that's credits for the episode <laughs> of the <laughs> Madison Jones, tell the people where they can find us. The people can find us on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and everywhere else podcasts are found. By searching the Equalizers podcast. And as always, we spell that E-Q-U-E-L-I-Z-E-R-S like in sequel. Like in sequel. You can get in contact with us on Facebook and Twitter at The Equalizers. Gmail is equalizers at gmail.com. We have an Instagram. It is the underscore equalizers where we post our episode art every week. And I have an idea of what this one's going to be. It's probably going to be subdued because I don't want to spoil the, the twist. The surprise. Special thanks to our theme song, Rock Thing. Go to Creo. You can find their work at www.creo-music.com. We'd love it if you would review the podcast five stars, but, you know, just follow your heart. Trust your heart. Let fate decide. One to five stars. <laughs> In that range. And maybe rate us really low and we can be the worst podcast on the internet, and then that's how we gain our fame. Alternately, don't do that. All press is good press, right? Next time, Madison, we have an interesting uh, movie with guest Jesse Cooper, who will come on for... I haven't heard this yet. Troll in Central Park 2. What? Troll in Central Park? Yeah, it's an animated film from when we were younger. I recognize the title and like the, the box art. I never saw it, but... Oh! Yeah, okay. I know what this movie is. I thought it was one of the troll movies. No, no, no. And I'm like, there's, there's definitely sequels to those. So, for the Equalizers... I'm Madison Jones. I'm Mike Knoll. Like, could I be any more in the Illuminati? To be continued.